I'm Julia Gerlach, Executive Editor of No-Till Farmer. Welcome to the No-Till Farmer podcast series brought to you today by the Andersons. I encourage you to subscribe to this series, which is available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Subscribing will allow you to receive an alert about new episodes when they're released. I'd like to take a moment to thank the Andersons for sponsoring today's episode. Take back your nutrients with BioReverse from the Andersons. Stock degradation is an essential part of no-till field management. BioReverse is a robust microbial package designed to significantly reduce residue stubble prior to the next cropping season. The application of BioReverse following harvest released 10 times more nutrients than fields left untreated. With a two-year shelf life and easy handling, BioReverse is ideal for every operation. Visit andersonsplantnutrient.com forward slash BioReverse for more information. When the 2018 Farm Bill was passed and growing hemp for grain, fiber, and CBD was legalized, a number of farmers rushed to get in on the ground floor of a brand new market. High profits were promised, especially in the CBD space, but as many farmers soon found out, there were a number of obstacles to hurdle, including interstate commerce challenges, a lack of distributors, and issues with state testing regulatory bodies. For this No-Till Farmer podcast, we caught up with Tom Cotter, a no-tiller and strip-tiller in Austin, Minnesota, right after a Minnesota Soil Health School session he hosted at his farm. He explains how he skirted many of the problems facing hemp farmers by following the farm-to-table production model to grow the product for his own superior cannabis company stores in Austin and Duluth. He also talks about the process for growing the crop, how his many years of experience with cover crops prepared him to grow hemp, how he incorporates grazing livestock into his operation, and much more. So I'm Tom Cotter, Austin, Minnesota, southern part of the state. Uh, Started doing cover crops when my boy was one or two years old. Was really uh, not even thinking cover crops. My dad had us plant some dwarf Essex rapeseed after peas. Next year, that was our best corn right in that spot. Totally never even thought it was anything. I looked at chemical, fertilizer, seed, and then realized it was that green thing. Green plants. Didn't know what they were. I just knew that they're only good for hogs and not cattle for feed, so I thought it was worthless. But I noticed that better yields. They say it was only a good pig feed, but when I put in rapeseed in with my CRI, my cattle love it. So I think everything wins diversity together that's when it's dynamite you know alone it's hard to be good mm-hmm. it's hard for me to be good at as a man alone you know i get married i'm much better <laughs> so, then we start doing cover crops did cover crops for from 97 98 up to about 2012 and i bought a strip till bar but we were doing tillage we were doing cover crops and doing the tillage with it in 2012 bought a strip till started playing with that had success had failures uh, got hooked up with a local group in 2015, I think. And from there, you know, when you network with people, that's when it just really exploded. I had the livestock and never grazed. And then I, was, I started grazing my cover crops. I started doing the no-till even more. And perfect, did the strip-till, but always with in mind that I was going to earn the right to go no-till corn. I could no-till beans, that wasn't a problem. But corn, I just felt like you got to earn the right because... Our soil has been addicted to tillage since 1874. Chemical, you know, in the 1950s, 60s, really abused soil. And so I have to earn the right to 
get that no-till form. And I'm there. So nice. pretty good about that. So just describe what your general rotation is. My general rotation would be peas, sweet corn, corn, soybeans, then back to peas. What kind of peas? Green peas or field? Yeah, field, field peas, local can company. Okay. That gives me... It, well, actually, this year the yields are down. I got insurance, so I mean, it, it actually it turned out really good. But that's really not what I'm after. I'm after the diversity of covers I get to put in after that. Mm-hmm. And then I get to, you know, every acre that I have, cattle have to be on. At one point during the year, I want a second income off that field. And the cattle give it to me. So get into the, the rotation a little bit more with your cover crops and how you okay. incorporate the grazing. Okay. Starting with peas. Mm-hmm. The grow of peas, I very you gotta be very careful with chemicals because if you're grazing anything, you, that's a very good thing to look at because you don't want to be doing the wrong chemical, the wrong spot. So after peas are harvested, usually early late June, early July, I'll come in and plant species. I've done anywhere from you know, seven mixes up to 35. I really like the 18 to 20 range right now. It'll, it'll probably switch to a different species for every zone so 15 inches of a winter kill and 15 inches of a overwintering variety so then after the peas i, I do the multi covers i generally graze that in late september october november and then come back to other cover crops so that's peas and usually after they're grazed i'll go out and spread seal rye and all the cattle are out there the last stage i'll let them stop in the rye to get that for coming for next year Next year, I come in with sweet corn. Uh, gives me another option to come back in after harvest. But I also do some interseeding into that, which is phenomenal because sweet corn is really a short variety. Mm-hmm. Uh, what yeah. are you interseeding? My big thing is bounty annual ryegrass. I like kale because I graze everything. Mm-hmm. Generally, people say radish, but if a cow kicks a radish over, it's done. Mm-hmm. Kale, they can eat, it'll grow. They can eat it, they'll, they'll regrow. Mm-hmm. So kale's in there. Red clover is always in there. It's really, you know, people always say, are you getting nitrogen from them? I'm not after nitrogen. I'm after feeding those microbes. So anytime you interseed, you're really just trying to feed the microbes in the soil and get a living plant year-round. Mm-hmm. And then I'll also throw in buckwheat's one of my favorites also. Mm-hmm. I think those are kind of the main staples, and then of course from there I can throw anything else, purple top or flax or something like that. But uh, and then the next year after that, I come in with no-till corn. Uh, I got good diversity. Uh, that's my big thing is I always want diversity going into no-till corn because no starter. I don't even put fertilizer on until the corn is probably knee high, and that's really just for a sense of to to make that corn plant make a bond with mycorrhizae fungi in the ground. I don't want to feed it something synthetic because then it's always going to want it. So I'll plant the field corn, I'll interseed into that, mm-hmm. like I just said, the next year. And then that fall, I will graze it after, say, peas or canning crops. I'll graze it, and while they're grazing, I'll go back out and spread a little more cereal rye because I want the cereal rye over winter. The annual ryegrass does but I get better weed control with the winter rye. Okay. But I still love the rooting system of annual ryegrass. So. Okay. And so you're here in Minnesota, southern Minnesota. Yep. yep. But annual ryegrass still overwinters. Oh, yeah. yeah. Really, really overwintering is actually probably easier up here because, you know, we have snow cover. That snow cover protects our cover crops, and our cover crops protect our soil. Mm-hmm. 
that's good. Now, like say Southern Iowa, where they don't have the snowfall that we have, but they still get the cold. Mm. It's harder for them to overwinter. So okay. I like it when I see snow on the ground. But, <laughs> and you know, cattle still graze right through the winter time. Cold has never been a problem for grazing cattle. It's always that windbreak, and you know, the United States has spent the last 40 years tearing out fence lines. So I'm finding myself putting more fence lines and more trees back in everywhere. Right. And so what then comes after the uh, corn and soybeans? After the corns, yep, I'll come back. And that's why I spread a thick cereal rye where the cows are out grazing in the fall. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, you try and roller crimp. In Minnesota, it's, it's kind of hit and miss. Sometimes you can get it, sometimes you can't. I would prefer to plant that September earlier, and sometimes I do. I do have a, like a friend of mine coming out to high cedars, so we'll be getting some more rye out in other fields too. If I, if I don't get the interseed early, I come in late. But I always use about three different ways of planting cover crops throughout the year just to spread your risk. And the cover crops you're putting on, you said three different ways, so you're, yep. you're doing some aerial I, seeding. I, I do inter, No, I do no aerial seed. Oh, okay. I've actually never done aerial seed. I do a high clearance rig. Okay. I do uh, v, V4, V6 inter seeding, mm-hmm. and then I do just regular seeding after peas or sweet corn. Okay. And that's either with a no-till drill or... I do have a gandy box that I can put on a vertical till mm-hmm. after it's a lot of acres. Do any of those methods work better than others? Well, the no-till drill is always going to be it. But I will say I love the interseeding into corn because that's just a just a rotary hole machine that throws the gandy box out there. And I just lightly punch holes in the ground, and that, it actually takes all the residue from the cereal rye that died when I plant the corn, throw it up, inject the seed in, it falls down, and it's green, so. Okay. And so one of the neat things that you're doing right now is organic hemp. Yes. Yes. Yep. So why don't you just tell us what you're doing, uh, how that came about? Well, a friend of mine got me and another guy together. We're, we're all three friends. We, we coach wrestling together. All our boys were together wrestling. When he asked me about doing hemp, I said, no problem, because I do... 30 different species of cover crops so planting something new it didn't affect me like most guys would if they're just corn and soybeans uh-huh. i really like that but the real big stress was you know we wanted to be organic and in the cbd world we're not going to get any more money for organic but we do get people are concerned about their health and that's why they're taking hemp to try and help with anti-inflammation and anti-anxiety mm-hmm. and you know in the farming world we create a lot of inflammation Mm-hmm. So this hemp has just been wonderful for that. We will come in, uh, we're, we're on 10-foot centers. We actually could be narrower, but we're not after quantity, we're after quality. Mm-hmm. We really separate ourselves. We're water quality certified farm, organic certified, and it just shows by the people that buy our oils and say, hey, this stuff is working. And I truly believe it's because I'm putting more microbes in the soil, feeding them, a balanced diet as compared to a you know synthetic which you know i still use synthetics on i'm actually a third of my ground is organic and two-thirds is conventional okay so i play with the use the no-till and the covers and the conventional ground when i master it or you think you master it because you don't really master anything but i get okay at it then i move it over into the organic and i try and of course, in the bad world of organic, you do tillage. And, you know, I got no-till organic oats. This year is dry. 
grade, I took all my cover crops for forage because I didn't think we were going to get any rain. We really didn't until a nine-inch rain in late August. Uh, so I took all the forage. I took my no-till organic oats, and then I turned around and planted no-till organic soybeans. And that's been a that's been a disaster. But you know what? I have livestock. I'll do okay. I only really need 15 bushel to end up at seven eight hundred dollars just because of good prices for organic and that forage you know grass-fed beef that's a gold mine yeah right now so. okay so let's just talk a little bit more about the organic yeah. hemp yeah i wanted to just have you kind of talk about your process because okay. I, I understand right now you are you started with uh, we started with clones, clones. Yep, yeah we started with clones we would my partners drove down to colorado bought some eight inch tall plants we came back planted them by hand uh the next year we started them by seed so we went from seven bucks or six bucks a plant to a dollar a seed uh-huh. which was very nice because we jumped up to about 6,000 plants last year, uh-huh. 12,000 this year. Okay. But we start them in about May 1st, plant yeah. about a quarter to a half inch deep, put them in a greenhouse that we built. They're in there for about a month. Uh, we're we're kind of seeing that we don't want to get them too big because you start getting root bound. Mm-hmm. And once they start getting root bound in there, then we see the effects out on the field. Okay. So we have a water wheel, it's called. It's just a vegetable transplanter. Mm-hmm. Two people sit on it. It has a big wheel that spikes into the ground and we just drop that plug in there and then you have about eight people walking behind and kind of closing the soil in behind the plants you know because you really got to seal that up those roots you want to get those covered just like closing wheels on a plant and then from there on you know we we graze in the field after harvest so we got good manure there we apply some organic uh turkey litter or chicken litter after also. harvest yep yeah. uh before harvest or after okay. usually before but or, Sorry, before planting. Oh, okay. My cows graze it after harvest, so I'm uh-huh. getting manure out there. In between the 10-foot rows, mm-hmm. we're growing uh, yellow sweet blossom, white clover, red clover. Try and get some buckwheat in there. We have some grasses. I don't mind having the grasses, but I have to kind of control the height of those because I don't want to get them. I like when they're about 8, 10 inches tall. It gives a really nice cover on the ground. It stays cool. But anything more than that, I really start sucking the nitrogen up. So mm-hmm. I got to mow that down, let it grow up. And, and I like that nutrient cycle. You know, mm-hmm. when you mow your yard, you mow it from four inches down to two inches. Well, that's not much. Oh, here I can mow it from eight, ten inches down to four inches. Mm-hmm. So there's six inches of residue that gets to be put back in the soil. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. So that's that's been okay. working good. And do you apply any nutrients at all? So we, we yep the, we, yep yep we do. Uh, we some Arbicol nitrogen during the year that we get from what uh, a website or Arbicol. Okay. And we do that very light rates because we have the manure. We're just trying to feed along. I know I'm using nutrients with my covers in between, but I am recycling them. But you just want to get that cycle going, and so we supplement along the way. But mm-hmm. when you look at the overall, I don't think we probably put on more than 35 to maybe 40 pounds of you know organic arbical nitrogen form. Mm-hmm. All the rest is from manure and from the plants that's already there. Okay. Uh, and what are the overall uh, nitrogen needs of the hemp? Kind of like a corn it's plant. similar to corn. It, it, it loves nitrogen, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yesterday we went down into the, we do uh, organic oilseed hemp also, mm-hmm. and that I actually put on three tons of uh, 
turkey litter. So I, I probably got about 140 pounds in that gym, and that looks just beautiful. Uh, and are there any disease or insect issues with the, with well, the hemp? You, you can get corn borer, but okay. that's the whole idea of growing that stuff in between the rows. Uh-huh. You know, if I mow that down really tight, then those creatures are going to go somewhere else. Then mm-hmm. usually it'll be in the hip. Yeah. If I can give them a domain to, to live in and to eat, mm-hmm. they will stay there. I've never had a problem with that. Mm-hmm. It's usually when you take everything else that they want to jump in the hemp. Yeah. Uh, and really the, the hemp bore is what we have. It's just like corn bore. Mm-hmm. This year is so dry we didn't have to worry about any uh, powdery mildew or anything like that. But it's something to watch, but we do have some organic products that we can use for that. And then uh, there's there's like neem oil. We didn't use any this year, but we have. But that does a good job, just kind of push them away for four or five days, but they'll come back. Yeah, that's an insecticide, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then what's the harvest process like? Because that's all all by hand, you said. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So we're Spirit Cannabis Company. We're, we're a small kind of craft business, what we want to be. You know, there's lots of all these craft breweries. Mm. They're doing good. We're a craft hemp. Okay. And so we have a store here in Austin, Minnesota, and a store in Duluth. We take, we're, like I said, we're not worried about quantity, it's quality. So everything is picked by hand. We can actually pick my six acres, which is about 6,000 plants in about four hours. Oh. We put them into our green bins. We used to we hang them in there. We started doing that first, uh-huh. but now we can actually put them on the floor also. Oh. And those fans, you know, they they cooled down thirty thousand bushels of beans before, so doing six feet deep of hemp has been no problem. We'll we'll let them sit in the dryer for a month, and then we'll come back and we'll put them into this system right here. They'll beat the buds off of the stems. What, this what is, is this? <laughs> well, actually it's a big giant chicken plucker. That's <laughs> really what it is. Uh, but it would be called a bucker. Oh, okay. And so it'll buck the buds off the stems. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, this will be the first year with this unit. So you'll stick the whole plant in there. Last year we had to cut every branch off and do each branch individually, oh. which was very Tedious. time consuming. But you know what? When we do it like that, we don't mind spending money on people because people is what helps build a career. You know, mm-hmm. There's jobs. If we did it all with this, and this is going to take some jobs away from people, but we'll be able to keep our main people here to help us with this. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really important. To, you know, I met my wife at the can company. There was 300 workers there. Ten years later, there was 30. Oh, wow. That's a lot of jobs lost. Yeah. And I don't know if the quality got any better. We'll get back to Tom Cotter in a moment, but I want to take time once again to thank our sponsor, The Andersons, for supporting today's episode. Take back your nutrients with BioReverse from The Andersons. Stock degradation is an essential part of no-till field management. BioReverse is a robust microbial package designed to significantly reduce residue stubble prior to the next cropping season. The application of BioReverse following harvest released 10 times more nutrients than fields left untreated. With a two-year shelf life and easy handling, BioReverse is ideal for every operation. Visit andersonsplantnutrient.com forward slash BioReverse for more information. Now let's get back to Tom Cotter as he explains how he became an accidental strip tiller years ago. And so let's back up just a little bit because you kind of talked about yeah. you got into strip till at some yeah. point. What what drove you to that decision? <laughs> well, I got into strip till because I remember as a kid and I would be redoing the shovels on the cultivator. There'd be I'd need seventy shovels. My dad would go get about 
16 20 and say well this will get you started and i always thought dad i can't do i can't replace them all so i always had to think okay i'm going to do every 30 inches i'm going to put a good shovel so i can do tillage in that one spot and if it's in between if it doesn't do a good job no big deal and then i started realizing well, why the heck am i doing that at all in between there and so we kind of I bought a red ball strip till bar and I by no means was I an expert at it and I, I didn't do a very good job or I was, I was actually more used to being full tillage uh-huh. at that time so it didn't never made me happy I always did in the fall the next year I'd uh, I'll tear it out but I should have stuck with it because it works and, and you did say that you are doing some strip till with the hemp you're so you're doing a strip till pass before yep yeah, we did a little foot wide strip uh-huh. with the rotor with the rototiller. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. But really, this year we're going to be if we can get that nice heavy rye in there, I think we'll be able to just plant without without doing that. Uh-huh. And really, that's what we wanted last year. But when I planted last fall, it was dry, dry all winter, dry all spring. Yeah. I only got I told you before, probably about a half a catch. So yeah. yeah. It wasn't enough to keep that ground while I want it. And then are you planning to uh, switch to trying to direct seed the hemp ever? Or uh, Yeah, yeah, we, we will be doing some of that. We're going to start doing some tests. Uh, this hemp plant is an amazing plant. Mm-hmm. It went from this, the ones we do now, we're taking just CBD, but the plants that are out there nowadays, the genetics is actually, you can harvest the whole thing and you can separate out that fiber and the CBD and the grain Mm-hmm. which really most people think that you can't get CBD if you get green because mm-hmm. seeds take away but they're making it work. I have a friend up in uh, Hemp Acres USA he's he's doing some trials and he's doing a good job on that so we definitely will be doing some direct CBD. Okay and you'll do that what with your drill or what? Yeah yeah we'll do that but I will say we, we don't want to go too big with that because we still want to be as much hands-on, handcraft, mm-hmm. you know, just like a good beer. It's the same thing with that. If we put the love into it, I'll show it. Yeah. And you did say that the hemp is uh, growing on 10-foot centers. 10-foot centers. And then how far apart are the plants? Uh, three foot, three inches. Okay. All right. And so right now, they're probably about four four feet tall, four and a half feet tall yeah. or something yeah. out there. Yeah, there's, that... there's some three and a half, yeah. there's some six foot. Uh-huh. I really don't want six foot ones. My partner has some. He oh. is an old uh, feedlot, but when when the winds come, they're a little too big and they, the branches will break. I've never lost a plant here. They, oh. they're, they're pretty sturdy. Uh-huh. Okay, and is that about the height that they get, or will they continue? Yeah, no, there's different varieties, but this is kind of average. Uh-huh. It's pretty good average here. And so right now it's September 11th. How close are we to harvest? We just had the state inspector come okay. Tuesday, which was what. Four days ago. Yeah. So I have 30 days from that day to get that harvested now. Oh, okay. And so as long as it comes back, well, even if even if it comes back over the 0.3 percent, we can actually balance the varieties. We have six varieties, so one or two get hot, and other ones are low. We can balance them all. It'll be just fine. Yeah. And that's a that's due to a recent change in the in the law. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We actually had uh, Tom Peterson here earlier. Mm-hmm. And he was great out there, and he's he's done a good job. He's the commissioner of Minnesota Department Ag here, and he's really helped move the stuff along. Mm-hmm. So awesome. it's nice to have a commissioner that's active. Yeah, right. Yeah. And you did tell me that you probably wouldn't be doing this if you didn't have a store, or a place yes. where you could yeah. directly yeah. sell your. There, there's there's way too many stories of farmers out there. Yeah. 
growing in and no place to go. Yeah. And when we first started looking at hemp, we went to the Minnesota Hemp Forum, and we heard all these big guys out there saying, you guys, you farmers grow hemp and we'll buy it from you. Everyone's going to make money. Uh, same BS that we've heard for, well, farmers heard it forever. Yeah. But so I really suggest that if you're going to do something, you know, farm to table, just like with my beef, mm-hmm. farm to shop with your own products. Yeah. But set yourself apart. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can't be the same. The equipment that we bought, that, that we've just bought right here, those producers sitting on 14,000 pounds of biomass and they're asking us, they're begging us, you want to buy it? We'll give it to you for 50 cents on a pound. And we're like, well, you're not organic, not regenerative. You know, you guys are great, but that's not going to move the pendulum. You need, when we, when we promote our product, we promote the organic, we promote the clean water, water quality, and we, and we really stress regenerative practices. Mm-hmm. And that's what gets people, because anyone that's going in for hemp, they're trying to find relief from inflammation, anxiety, and COVID's got everyone with high anxiety right now. And so I'd like to circle back to your uh, grazing just a little bit more. Yep. Can you just talk, so you said you have grazing on every acre, but can yes. you just get into the details a little bit more, like yep. how many animals do you have and okay. how much of an so acre So we, we have a 50 cow-calf operation, and we have all the grass-fed feeders. Most guys that feed corn, they can get them all in about 14, 15 months. Takes me about two years. I always thought there was some special recipe. You know, over in France, I heard they do great grass-fed beef. And the more I do it, the more I realize it's the diversity. you got to have a nice, diverse mix. So that's why I'm really heavy on 15 species or higher for my cattle to graze because they will pick out the right ones at the right time. Mm-hmm. Right around the farm here, we have 740 acres, high tinsel on the very outside of everything. Okay. And then all the inside stuff is all temp fencing that we put up. And so the pea field that's straight north here, it's a 90 acre field. We cut it into three sections that drops down to 30 and then we'll go in there and make paddocks of about five acres. Mm-hmm. And we'll rotate through those. And we really try and go fast right now because all the uh, warm season grass are getting tall. We need to eat those down a little bit so that all the undergrowth can really come. And the faster you go through, the faster that regrowth comes. You just came off of a couple of days of doing an event with the Minnesota Soil Health Coalition. Yep. I know you're on the board of directors, so I'd yep. like to hear about how you got involved. Um, and tell me about the, the organization, because I believe it's a farmer-led organization. Yes. yep. Well, I got involved because for 20 years, well, 1997 to about 2012, I was alone. I didn't know there was a Cape Brown out there. I didn't know there were all these guys. Did it all by myself. So once I found a network, I really attached onto it. Uh-huh. And I just kept on going. And I really feel the only way to get farmers to do this is farmer to farmer. Yeah. You know, you can have a university guy come in and they're going to give you all the data that you want and... I'm sorry, they're just, you got to connect on a more personal level with farmers because mm-hmm. we're not talking numbers, we're talking about Yeah, absolutely. So I really feel farmer farmer is the best way. The Minnesota Soil Health Coalition does a great job at that. Mm-hmm. I really like the idea that it's farmer-led. Mm-hmm. You know, copying the salt and mm-hmm. uh, I really started with the Freeborn Area Soil Health Team, and they were great, and that's where... You know, T.J. Curtis and I work with all the time. Uh, it's so nice to have an encyclopedia cover crop guy uh-huh. you know, right in your back pocket. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so you just did this two-day uh, Minnesota Soil Health School where you were focusing on 
healthy soil, healthy food, yep. healthy people. So yep. why is that message important to you? Well, you know, we're, we're moving one farmer at a time. Mm -hmm. And so we did that for two days. We need to get consumers on board too. Mm -hmm. And we need to make, let them know that, you know, it's not just the farmers messing everything up. Mm -hmm. If they want good food, they need to start putting their money where they want their health. Sure. And if, if they can't find it, we really want people to grow their own. Because you, you just can't be going to your backyard garden because it's going to help you health-wise as far as food, but it's also going to help you as far as getting off technology. Put your hands in dirt. Experiences everything. Mm -hmm. You can tell a kid not to touch a burning pan and he'll touch it because he has to feel it for himself. Mm -hmm. I really think growing food. Hardest, the hardest thing I ever did as a farmer was grow my own garden. Oh. I thought I could go on there and do full tillage and I was going to do these rows and weedy mess terrible disaster <laughs> and my mother-in-law goes out and takes the seeds in one hand and throws them out there oh. and every year she beat me and that's why the chaos garden right now is so phenomenal oh. uh, you just you don't have to get so specific with all this stuff throw it out there seeds will grow mm -hmm. right? how many times have you seen a seed in the drill in the shed and all of a sudden it's growing grass on it? <laughs> yes so. right okay um, and you had mentioned sort of a checkers approach to farming versus a chess approach. Yeah. So you want to just talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Girl, uh, growing up, we did the same thing every year. Never changed. It was always a digger, planter, spray. At the end of the year, we chisel plow and we're done. Mm -hmm. With cover crops, it's not that same thing. You need to be thinking ahead two or three years. I look back two or three years. Mm -hmm. You know. Kids play checkers, adults play chess. Mm -hmm. That's my mindset when I come into this. I want to look at that field. That's why when you ask rotation, like I really don't have rotation. Everything is field by field. Yeah. And I, I have guidelines, but I try to adapt. When you do covers, you have to adapt. This year I was hoping to crimp all my soybean acres. It was dry. I ended up cutting all that forage, which I hate to do to take it off. But you know, if I got to buy feed for cattle, it was dry uh -huh. and it's definitely i think money-wise i i figured i was about 300 dollars ahead by taking that forage and now i'm thinking i'm probably more like 400 dollars ahead so. uh -huh. and i have a pretty good soybean crop growing there anyways uh-huh so. oh, nice good um and then uh you had a list of the biggest cover crop failures which i thought was a really yeah. interesting list can you just talk about those you know biggest mistake is if you don't plant me too many people don't know what a plant looks like they think it's a weed if it's not corn and soybeans mm -hmm. so get something out there i like to refer to uh, johnny appleseed just grab something throw it out there and watch it grow just, just like my mother-in-law uh, -huh. uh next one thinking you can't make it work you know if you have a negative attitude i coached wrestling for 18 years if a kid thought he was going to lose a match i guarantee you he was going to lose a match mm -hmm. if he thought he could do it anything was possible mm -hmm. so, uh, networking with other farmers like I said I was alone for many years I learned one thing a year uh -huh. when I network also I'm learning 10 20 things a year because I'm working with all different kinds of people mm -hmm. uh, cover crop termination that's pretty important chemical mistakes we got easy you know we've heard that easy button yes we got lazy mm -hmm. uh, you definitely need to read labels especially if you're grazing mm -hmm. uh, not realizing everything is connected I, I wanted to bring it up today before we got done, but uh, the movie Avatar. Mm. You ever seen that? Mm -hmm. 
Yep. And they show all this life going, and people are going, well, that show's stupid. I'm thinking, well, that's actually real. That's exactly how it is. Uh-huh. Everything is connected. Everything is talking. For everything I do, there's, you know, it's connected. Yeah. Which, uh, next one, not using the right seat at the right time. And that kind of goes back to, I think, in October here, a couple of years ago, some magazine put out, or some farmer planted tilled radish in mid-October in Iowa. Oh, uh-huh. And, you know, and they said, oh, cover crops don't work. And I, you know, who told you that? Where, <laughs> where did you get your information? It's probably a co-op. I don't know. Uh-huh. But get with the right people. Work with the right people that want to help you. Mm-hmm. This is my favorite one. For every action, there's a reaction. And it's up to you if it's positive or negative. And the neat thing about that is it's not just farming. It's your family life. It's your personal life. It's it's how you do uh, in high school, how you treat your kids. Be positive. Give a smile. It's much easier to smile than frown. Uh, I really feel like that. I I want to be treated how, you know, treat others how I'd be treated. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the last one, not listening to Mother Nature. Mm-hmm. She is screaming at us. We're absolutely, you know, these viruses out now are just telling us that something's got to change or adapt. And... If that includes us, who knows? Mm-hmm. Any other uh, message that you'd like to share for farmers out there? Well, really, uh, I, I go back to Native Americans a lot. Oh. You know, they, I do the hemp. Well, they knew more than hemp. They knew everything about hemp. Mm-hmm. Uh, they go back to corn, beans, and squash, interceding. That was nothing new. Mm-hmm. It, everything that we're doing now has been redone. We just let money take us away from it. You know, and of course, now our health is paying for it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I, I like to like to live almost like a Native American and respect the land and you know only take what you need and always give back. You know, I'm, anytime I take something off the ground, I make sure I put seeds back out there to grow something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's very important. Mm-hmm. So I guess one final question: Are you doing soil testing, that sort of thing, to see how you know you, the, uh, the changes that you're making are affecting? I was. I you know, I talked a little bit about using your senses oh yeah mm-hmm. i i really feel that i don't need a someone that knows nothing about my farm to tell me mm-hmm. how my soil is mm-hmm. kind of like going to a doctor oh i feel i don't feel good oh well everything looks fine no you know your body better than anyone mm-hmm. and i know my soil better than anyone mm-hmm. so i really stick my hands in it i smell it i taste it mm-hmm. i know what soil health looks like mm-hmm. uh, i've had that was a good thing with networking i had guys to go to there doing no-till for the last 40 years there you go i can see it i can mimic that uh-huh. mimic nature so and and one year i actually had a soil the co-op soil test twice in the same field uh-huh. two days apart uh-huh. i got different results mm-hmm. so i thought you know <laughs> do i really put much in the call and i think one of the speakers here this weekend we're talking about how uh, different times you're getting different organic matter Mm -hmm. and so i just know if i'm doing the right things uh good principles so health is coming along just fine and in our hemp it shows because it's uh, every extractor it's done our hemp oil the first pass through like wow this is the best stuff we've seen oh that's because we're connected to the microbes Thanks to Tom Cotter for sharing his insights into integrating hemp for the CBD market into his no-till, cover crop, and grazing operation. To listen to more podcasts about no-till topics and strategies, please visit notillfarmer.com forward slash podcasts. 
Once again, we'd like to thank our sponsor, The Andersons, for helping to make this no-till podcast series possible. If you have any feedback on today's episode, please feel free to email me at jgerlock at lessetermedia.com or call me at 262-777-2404. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or the Google Play Store to get an alert as soon as future episodes are released. You can also keep up on the latest no-till farming news by registering online for our no-till insider daily and weekly email updates and Dryland No-Tiller e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at No-Till Farmer, with Farmer spelled F-A-R-M-R, and our No-Till Farmer Facebook page. For our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm Executive Editor Julia Gerlach. Thank you for tuning in.